A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. This is Second Captains at the Irish Times, and we bring you today's show on the back of last night's stultifying nil-nil draw at the Emirates. Nobody even pretended to enjoy it, Ken. Jake Humphrey presenting for BT Sport. Thanks the commentary team at the end for trying to make that sound as entertaining as possible, yeah. which I liked. Arsene Wenger seemed kind of bored and downbeat in his post-match interviews, and the Arsenal fans... Well, the Arsenal fans let their displeasure be known by roundly booing off their team, who is currently second place in the league and with their best chance of a title in years. Yeah. It doesn't take much for the Arsenal fans to boo their own Come players. On. It's against a home game against David Moyes' Manchester United. You've got to win the game. You have to win the game. Sure. Arsenal are in with a chance of a, a title. And what do they do? They end up losing ground with a home game against David Agreed. Moyes. Agreed. David Moyes was, was, I thought, seemed to be quite happy with the game. I thought he uh, he was quite pleased with the with the result. I agree with all of that, but I the only still feel that when you support a team, and I know Arsenal fans who are listening will say, we pay quite a lot of money. In fact, a hell of a lot of money for tickets to go to the Emirates. We're entitled to do it. Of course you are. It's mm. not a matter of what you're entitled to do or not. It just sits a little uneasily with me that Arsenal fans seem to boo their own players and team and manager an awful lot. Well, look, they've... It's it's been building up for a long time. No, you know? it's not two games. They were top of the league until no, two games ago. No, it's it's ten years. It's yeah. it's it's a uh, and but yeah, this surely this is the golden dawn at the end of ten years of you yeah, know. But imagine if it turns out results. to be another false dawn. Do Arsenal supporters well, maybe yeah, start feeling I mean, a little bit responsible though because they have roundly booed their team? Maybe this is the kind of thing that gets into the players' head. The players are playing at a stadium where they know their team thinks they're kind of crap. Mm. Even though they're second I mean, league. like I actually couldn't. I, like I just presumed that what I was hearing was, you know, a BT. Someone was booing Dave O'Leary on the <laughs> sideline for BT Sport. It couldn't actually be. Well, I hope the they were entire... booing the most capped Arsenal player in history. Right? Yeah. Well, until they found him out, as he said. What was that? <laughs> I was here long enough until they found me Is out. That, the self-deprecating that was Dave O'Leary self-deprecating. Of course, the, the joke, the subtext being. He wasn't found out. Of course. I mean, it, it took him nearly 900 games to ever. find out David, David Lurie. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I just presumed that it was some audio trick that was being played on no, me. Because so. it, you can't actually boo. I mean, it wasn't like they got beaten 4-0. I mean, you get beaten 4-0 at home by David Moyes from Manchester United. You know, yeah, boo them, but like otherwise. With, with, the, with the way that Manchester United have been playing so badly, yeah. and with the chance that Arsenal now have, I mean, do you think that, that Chelsea would have... Would have uh, spurned the chance. No, to, I don't think Chelsea no. supporters would have booed their players though. If they'd drawn nil nil, that may be true. Chelsea drew one all with West Brom. That that may be true. You know, I mean, because uh, you know, Mourinho still has such an authority. I think at uh, Chelsea, you know, people are prepared to say, "Oh, people are prepared to interpret even the most um, embarrassing setbacks as all part of his greater plan." You know, mm. they're, they're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Whereas maybe with Arsene Wenger, he's he's lost the benefit of the doubt over uh, over so many years of disappointment mm. and the same kind of disappointment. Um, you know, and maybe the the form over the previous year. You know, twenty thirteen wasn't wasn't it? Where was not the best team in the league that year? Um, over you know when you count the, the spring and the autumn, um, and. 
maybe people were. I mean, I think before then it was it was approach, approaching a real crisis situation for Arsene Wenger, and maybe that sort of helped people to say, "Oh, what I'm saying is that the the arguments against him or the 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 things that the Arsenal fans are angry about have never gone away. They've always sort of been there. They've just been sort of dulled a little bit by this. Mm. Well, actually, the team's doing quite well. You know, maybe." Uh, Maybe if we stick with these guys, but then as soon as it, it doesn't take much, it doesn't to go take wrong. much though. But it never did. It never did take much. Sorry, I shouldn't say it never did. In recent years, they didn't they boo the team after the first game of the season. Oh yeah, they, they, they pick out three one. But they, they pick out individual they, players. Think, Emmanuel Bouet, poor I, chap. That's true. I, I always thought that that when they were booing Bouet, that was a, that was as a proxy for Arsene Wenger because still his, his status is Bentner, so high that di- directly attacking Arsene Wenger would be a little bit like shoving your dad to the ground. You know, even, we, we all know that sometimes your dad, you know, those teenage years especially, yep. things can sometimes get a little strained. But, you know, are you going to turn around and shove the man to the ground and stand over him, bawling down at him, <laughs> you know, and, and saying, you know, old man, your day is done. You know, it's my up. time now. It's my time. Doesn't every son do that at some point? You just have to pick the right moment because yeah. if you go too early... You, you might get a little you, bit of a beat. Say down. when you're eight or nine. You know, <laughs> he's there, not going to like that. You know, there is a moment, but you never, you never do. Well, I'm you, the you, daddy now. You try not to do that because it would just be, it would be against everything. It would be against God, against nature. Mm. You know, to, the institution of marriage and to family. hurl your own father to the ground mm. and stand over him like Muhammad Ali and Sunni this. Then uh, it, it wouldn't be. And that's, I think, that is what the Arsenal fans were thinking in terms of if we directly attack Arsenal, Wenger, if we shout out. Uh, insulting words at him, then you know. But but a buoy, a buoy can be a stand-in for all that sort of pent-up fury. A buoy is a clown. He's a klutz. What's he doing in a team? Why is Wenger picking a buoy? You know, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and as long as there were a little supply of scapegoats like that, never got directed at, at Wenger himself. You think I'm being a little bit unfair on Arsenal? I'm sure Arsenal supporters feel like I am, but I, I just think a little bit more patience. We've, we've given seven years of patience, they are probably screaming. Loads more about that in second captain's football later on. Anyway, the big American sports story of the week should resonate here in Ireland as well, given the recent debate around attitudes towards homosexuality. Michael Sam is a top college player, American footballer, who's currently set to be making his way to the NFL very soon when the teams draft their next batch of players in May. And the news is that Michael Sam has made the announcement just last weekend that uh, he's gay and he will be the first openly gay player ever to play in the NFL before. Players have come out after retiring, but nobody has come out while they're still mm. playing. And in this case, it's it's before the career yeah. starts in a way, but he's immediately marking himself out in the macho world of the NFL. Quite interesting in how he's gone about doing it. Yeah, very carefully choreographed, really. Um, because he, he chose his, the date of his announcement very, very carefully after the Super Bowl. Um, but giving all of the NFL teams nearly three months uh, between now and the NFL draft to uh, understand his situation, uh, to ready themselves if they think that he's a player that can help out, and basically to deal with the the deal with the issue if they think it's going to be an issue in their in their locker room. And he um, met up with uh, very interesting actually. He announced it last Saturday night and on or last Sunday night and on the. Previous night on the Saturday night, he had a dinner in Los Angeles with Wade Davis, who's a former NFL player who came out after he retired. David Coppe, another former NFL player uh, who came out in the 1970s after he'd retired. Brandon uh, Ian Badejo and Chris Clue, who are two former NFL players uh, who were big LGBT advocates. And uh, the editor of a website that uh, a guy actually that we spoke to a couple of times over the years, a guy called Sid Ziegler, who's the outsports.com sport, uh, editor. He's it's a uh, a website for uh, uh, gay people involved in sport. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting that he would sit down and have basically a sort of a committee meeting with all of these people who can help in some way, I suppose, uh, with any issues that, that come up between now and the NFL draft and after the NFL draft because, you know, he has to be drafted by a team and we don't know whether he's going to be drafted. The reaction has been very positive from people who are willing to put their name to what's yeah. uh, what they're saying. But there have been some anonymous reports of NFL scouts who think that this is a sort of distraction an NFL locker room doesn't need. He certainly seems like a sharp enough young sports person. He, he's taken on board a lot of opinions. It's funny, and everyone hopes it works out well for him. Thomas Hitzelsberger, I remember, uh, said a couple of months ago that part of the reason that he didn't come out while he was playing was 
because people told him not to. They said football won't be ready and he sort of thought afterwards, well, maybe it would have been. I, you have, you, I, I never tested that out. Yeah. So this is a, a test case is a bit of a callous way of looking at what a human being is, is going to go through. But we will see uh, over the next few years what happens there. And we'll talk to US Murph about that quite shortly. Yeah, oftentimes these things aren't a steady evolution. Uh, you know, th- in a situation like this, sometimes pe- people do need to m- just take a leap. You know, that it has to be a leap forward. It can't just be a gradual um, evolution of people's uh, attitudes towards this thing. Sometimes you actually just need a guy to take a leap and see what happens. We're talking Six Nations today with Ireland's most capped women's rugby player, Lynn Cantwell. They're Grand Slam champions and there's a double pressure attached to that for them really because they have to try and defend their title first of all, but also to promote their game. And this is something that I'll ask Lynn about. It's maybe, it maybe doesn't affect the men's team in the same way. They probably don't have to actively go out even though they will do their press conferences and have their uh, do their publicity. But the women really, I, I guess, feel that they have to strike while the iron is hot here, get as much publicity as possible for themselves and for what they're doing. The, fir- the first way, excuse me, of doing that is going out and winning a Grand Slam. Mm. Another way is backing up and winning a second Grand Slam, but also getting uh, play- to play in front of a wider TV audience. So we'll chat about all that in a little while. And Malachi Clerken is at the Winter Olympics in Sochi, as you will know if you've been reading the Irish Times sports section over the last week or so. We'll check in with him. Just to mention, we've got a live show for our beloved Second Captain's listeners. I know you're looking forward to this one, Murph. Mm. Due to popular mm-hmm. demand, you can come and have a laugh and a few drinks with us at Whelan's next Friday. So it's Friday the... 21st of February. 21st of February. Mm. Uh, if you want to email live at secondcaptains.com. You, you, can, can, uh, you can watch the uh, Wales-France game just... 25 to 30 yards away from Owen McDevitt, if you so desire. No closer, though. Email us live at secondcaptains.com. We'd love to see you there. It's time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behaviour. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the Brian Murphy, good to talk to you as always. At a time of year, mid-February, uh, which is usually fairly quiet uh, in terms of big-time American sport, but then Michael Sam comes along, a huge prospect, a college prospect. He's going to have a big career in the NFL, and he announces that he's gay. This is a, a front-page story, front-cover story on Sports Illustrated, and I assume particularly post-Super Bowl and pre-March Madness, all those things, is making pretty big waves over there. You're absolutely right. This is Definitely the quietest time. I and mean, we have the Winter Olympics, you know, which is as a it's registering. We're getting, you know, pretty good ratings on the Winter Olympics. And the NBA All Star game, which is, you know, okay, but you're right. This is the landscape. And it's interesting that he chose this time, guys, to come out because it is definitely taking center stage and maybe it makes you think in general about when he chose to announce to maximize maybe the news, or also to make sure he did it well before the NFL draft. But yeah, you know, I mean, we've been talking about it all week. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, of course, we we live in San Francisco, you know, so geography matters in this story as far as different portions of the country thinking about it maybe differently. Although it's funny now, you know, when you think of the gayest cities, they call it quote-unquote gayest cities in America where the gay culture thrives the most. I've actually seen studies that, like, Places like Salt Lake City and Atlanta are are more vibrantly gay than San Francisco now. So it definitely has changed over the last 20, 30, 40 years when it used to just be New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. But, um, yeah, around the country, a lot of re- – it's funny. I, I'm, when you were asking the question there, Owen, I was thinking, yeah, it is a really big deal. And at the same time, it, it isn't. And it's kind of – I, I, I kind of say that with an asterisk. It's like, of course it's a big deal. And it is the cover of Sports Illustrated. And it is ESPN. And we are talking about it. But at the same time, there really feels like there's this – it's time. It's re- – you know, everybody's ready. It isn't like a, a revolution that is going to just change society. It is going to change society. And it has changed society. But at the same time, you know, this has been such a movement over the last – five, six, seven, eight years with gay marriage and all that. That all started back in 04 in San Francisco when Gavin Newsom, the mayor here, broke the law by 
granting marriage licenses, and they lined up uh, uh, you know, for blocks and blocks here in San Francisco to get married. So it's a little bit of both, guys. It's a, it's a total game changer. It's a total society changer. And yet, at the same time, it feels, certainly from our perspective here on the West Coast, it feels totally right. Brian, the, uh, you mentioned that he, it was probably quite a deliberate uh, policy to announce this. Now, it's something that this guy felt, and I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, these stories won't even be stories. But uh, this is a person who's going into the NFL. It's different from some of the other guys like Jason Collins last year, even, who was almost retired from the NBA. He was a free agent at the end of his career. Uh, Zero Tuolo, some of these other players. This is a guy who's going to be all going well for him, a big player in the NFL for quite a while. So that's just to put a bit of context on it. But he did seem to put a lot of thought. He wanted to publicize it in a certain way. He talked to Jason Collins himself, and I think Wade Davis, a, a former NFL player, who also came out. And in fact, Davis seemed to do a lot of the media for him. Yeah, well, definitely this was, or, you know, or, uh, to use the word orchestrated makes it almost sound sinister, but it was planned. You know, I planned, and, and I guess a little backstory, guys, that, you know, he, he, you know, you guys, I'm sure I've talked about it on your show, that t- he, he incredibly told his University of Missouri teammates in August, a very, almost in a very nonchalant manner, as we find out from this story, and it's been corroborated by many sources on the Missouri team, or many uh, players and coaches who say, yeah, they have a little get-together at the start of every season, and they say, let's tell us something about you that we don't know. You know, you expect one guy to say, uh, you know, I like, uh, I'm allergic to shellfish or something. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead he stands up and says, I'm Michael and I'm gay. And I mean, wow, holy cow! You want to talk about something we didn't know? Well, that's it. What's amazing is is a couple of things. One, that the University of Missouri players and program completely supported him, and he wound up having such a positive environment that he had a great year. He was a first-team All-American. That's a big deal. He was the Southeastern Conference Defensive Player of the Year. That's a very big deal. His team was one of the best teams in the country. They went 12-2. and So obviously it did not have a fracturing effect on the locker room. And the other part about it is that nobody told the media. Nobody, they were, they were, you know, granted, University of Missouri colleges can kind of shield kids from the media a little bit, but you would have thought it would have leaked out somewhere somehow, but that just shows, goes to show you maybe how the younger generation is much more cool with it than, say, the older generation. I've found these, these things kind of tend a lot to break along demographic lines. If you talk to kids 25 and under, they feel a lot differently than people 55 and older, which, by the way, gets us to his dad, which we'll have to touch on in a minute here. But, yeah, so he, he had that you know, knowledge with his team all year. And then, finally, they have something called the Senior Bowl, guys, where all the players who want to play in the NFL go play in this thing down in Mobile, Alabama. It's after the season's over, and it's where NFL teams go to evaluate. And apparently, as the story goes, it was really kind of becoming an open secret there that finally the, the cracks were showing and then people were talking, hey, Michael Sam's gay, Michael Sam's gay. And he you know, was hearing it from some teammates, and he said, wow, I better, I want to, quote, and this is the, the key phrase in his whole media campaign, was, quote, I want to own my own truth, meaning he did not want to be, quote, outed by somebody else. You know, oh, it, it would seem so, you know, dark and secretive that way. And he was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm ready. I want to be out there. I'm ready to be that guy. So, yeah, as you mentioned, this guy... Wade Davis, fairly obscure guy who never really played it down in the NFL, but it what came out afterwards. And other guys like Jason Collins, the basketball player you mentioned, got together with him. I guess they all got together in Los Angeles at an agent's house and talked about it over a weekend, about the plan and how he was going to do it. Uh, a former Major League Baseball player named Billy Bean was involved. It's kind of funny, same name as the A's general manager, but not the same guy. And Billy Bean, the A's GM, has made a couple jokes about that through the years. But... And, yeah, they definitely said, okay, well, let's do this and let's do this right. Let's kind of, you know, we're going to go to the ESPN. We're going to go to the New York Times, two extremely prominent media outlets. And we're going to have, you know, more than one person talking. We have his agent talking. We have Michael talking. We have former players like Wade Davis talking. I mean, so it was, it was well-planned, well-executed. They did it on a Sunday night so that everybody was talking about it on Monday morning. Usually when you want to bury news, you release it on a Friday afternoon, you know, because nobody's talking. That's what the White House always does with bad news. They release bad economic news on a Friday afternoon. But this guy did it on a Sunday night so that we were all talking about it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all this week, guys. So well-executed, well-orchestrated, deliberate, uh, open, kind of in keeping with the whole thing, open and out there. I mean, he's really handled everything very, very well this year, and as a result, so far, so good. Other than, and I know you guys are probably interested in this, the, the, the story that came out with some anonymous NFL executives who expressed 
maybe some misgivings, not maybe, who definitely expressed some misgivings. Yeah, I've got it. a but few many quotes on that have, one here, Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead. And we'll come back to his, his dad. This was the, the Sports Illustrated piece who, uh, they, I guess sometimes this is the way it has to be done in the media. They wanted to get honest quotes, so they told these people that their names wouldn't be used, but they talked to people in sort of executive positions, personnel, people who would know whether this kind of thing might be an issue for the, the clubs who are coming in, for the franchises. Uh, one person says, I don't think football is ready for an openly gay player. In the coming decade or two, it'll be acceptable at this point in time. It's still a man's game to call somebody a, and then in brackets, gay slur. is still so commonplace. Uh, it had chemically imbalanced an NFL locker room and meeting room. And there are a few other quotes along those lines from different sources, all unnamed. So it seems like while you're saying everyone's ready for it publicly, uh, privately, it seems like maybe some of the franchises aren't ready for this. Yeah, we, it's a, it's an excellent you know point and observation that these anonymous guys may be speaking with truth serum, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like they can say whatever they want, and the public people are maybe saying something politically correct. Any, by the way, any number of NFL players, uh, if you just go on Twitter, any number of NFL players have expressed their support for him, saying, "Hey, man, it's cool." You know. Um, uh, who was the running back from uh, Carolina? Was it D'Angelo Williams? He said, "I just or Jonathan Stewart." He's like, "I just want to win. I just want to win ball games." So if if that's cool, it's all good. Dante Stallworth, wide receiver, same thing. Saying, "Hey, man, I've been in the locker room with bad guys. I want a good guy who will help me win." If that's the case, so you have had guys publicly saying that. But as to your point on these anonymous NFL execs, I'm wondering if they are going to be by the time May rolls around. I want, which is when the NFL draft is, and which is another reason why he did this in February, is that we're such a 24-hour news cycle society anymore, or a one-week news cycle society, that by the time May rolls around, this thing will have lost a lot of steam, and hope, his hope is that he will just be viewed for his pass-rushing skills. There is a side note to all this, that he, he, he setting aside his, his announcement, he did have a slight problem in the NFL because he's what they call a tweener, meaning he's, he's not quite big enough to be a defensive end who rushes the passer from the down lineman positions, and he's not quite fast enough to be a linebacker who can run around on the outside. He's, he's kind of a combination of those two, and in college you can kind of get away with that, whereas in the NFL you sort of have to have one skill or the other to really dominate. So he's one of those guys, what they call a tweener. So he, it, it, setting aside his announcement, he might have had trouble kind of finding the right position in the NFL, which might have damaged his draft stock. But most observations, most neutral observations had him rated as a third or fourth round draft pick coming into this draft. And that's pretty good. I mean, it's not first or second. That's elite elite. But third or fourth, heck, Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round. Richard Sherman was drafted in the fifth round. Those guys are parading, parading through the streets of Seattle right now with a ring. So um, there is that issue of, of where he fits in. But as far as these NFL execs, they're saying, yeah, right now for a guy like him, you know, it's not Johnny Manziel saying he's gay, or Teddy Bridgewater out of Louisville, or uh, Jadavion Clowney, who we talked about last summer. Those guys are top five picks no matter what. Those guys, if they said they were gay, I wonder what these execs would say. They're sort of safe in saying, eh, he might disrupt the locker room because of his quote-unquote tweener status as a player. You get the feeling, though, watching him in the SEC sacking quarterbacks, there's a place for a guy like this in the NFL. There is definitely a team that can use his skill set and going forward, those anonymous NFL quotes seem to be, I just have a feeling those are going to be sort of caveman-like as time passes, because there's going to be a team out there, and basically we've laid it out, you're going to need a strong owner, not some wishy-washy owner like the Browns owner who keeps firing his coaches and GMs. You're going to need a strong coach, and you're going to need a strong locker room. And there's certain teams that fit that mold, like the Seattle Seahawks, for example. Uh, very Pete Carroll, very forward-thinking guy, forward-thinking city, forward-thinking locker room. The San Francisco 49ers also fit that mold. Jim Harbaugh, very strong presence, can control the storyline. The Pittsburgh Steelers, your guys, the Roonies, with a great family like the Roonies, and Mike Tomlin has great respect, and that's a veteran. So there are locker rooms out there where I think it could fit. It has to do with the organizational structure that he goes in, and I think those quotes from the NFL execs will probably – look like they will wind up on the wrong side of history. That's just my guess. Yeah, that's exactly the point that Dante Stallworth was making, actually, uh, who you mentioned there, a former NFL player, who basically said that every single season NFL teams are thrown you know, unbelievable curveballs, uh, like the Aaron Hernandez story in the in the Patriots where he's uh, accused of murder, uh, the Miami Dolphins bullying scandal that we talked about here. Basically, the well-organized teams can handle it. The badly organized teams can't handle it. And if a team that drafts 
uh, Michael Sam now with two months of a lead-in to figure out how to how to handle you know in inverted commas this story. If they if they can't do it after two months of a lead-in, then you know what the hell are they really doing? Yeah, guys, and we had Brian Jennings on our show, who's a longtime 49er. He's not out of football. He was a long snapper, but he's a really uh, bright, well-spoken, funny guy. And he, we had him on. I said, Brian, you can speak unvarnishedly. Now, you're not in the locker room anymore. Give us the straight dope. How will it be if a guy like him walks in? He goes, I'll tell you how it is. He said, now, listen, I'm just going to – he said, I'll make an absurd example. If, if this guy comes in like a Saturday Night Live a sketch character with a pink feather boa dressed like Boy George – yeah, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a weird situation. But if he walks in and from day one establishes that he has thick enough skin to handle whatever sideways glance he gets, and most importantly, if he just demonstrates that he's all about football, not advancing his agenda, not there for a social cause, all about football, he says, bam, he will be completely accepted right then and there. So the NFL is a vicious man's league. These guys are all about putting food on their table and getting wins, and they're very competitive, and the, and the serious teams are serious about their craft. And if Michael Sam walks in with none of, the, none of the affectations of like an openly gay guy who's trying to make a splash, but a guy, the affectations of a football player who's trying to sack a quarterback – he said he will absolutely succeed. So I thought that was a, a good way to look at it. And, uh, and it's probably going to be, I, like I said, it's probably going to be the future. That's my prediction is that this guy will uh, have done this well enough so far that it will be. Now, you know, he'll get to training camp in the summer, and there will be stories again. You know, some paper will want to do it, and ESPN will want to do it, and maybe his first game. And that can be a problem. It's not be, let's not be all rosy and, and Pollyannish about this. I mean, it can be a problem if a team's trying to win an NFL game and the cameras are there to document Michael Sam's first ever you know, game as an openly gay player. There's going to be players who grumble about it, but it's going to be up to the coach and up to the GM and up to the owner and up to the leaders in the locker room to say, hey, man, let that storm pass, and up to Michael Sam, to go back to what Brian Jennings said, to have thick enough skin to put up with those couple grumblers, because there's not going to be a... I mean, in any locker room, they say, there's always players who don't get along. There's always players who think one guy's out for himself. You know, we've talked about the T.O.s of the world in the, in the past. So, you know, it's up to Michael Sam to have that thick enough skin and that football-first mentality to succeed. Brian, you mentioned his dad earlier on, and I, it almost slipped my mind to come back to that. What, what uh, role is his dad playing in this? Well, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? We talk about the age demographic. Now, I'm, I'm generalizing here, because, of course, there are kids under 25 who are, are not cool with having a gay coworker or, or teammate. And, of course, there are people over the age of you know, 50 or 60 who are totally cool with having gay people in sports or on their team. But the general... I think uh, perception I can make is that this is such a younger generation thing that the young generation. I think you see any number of Harris polls in America or Gallup surveys in America, and it just shows the younger generation is far more accepting of gay, you know, gay culture and open gay behavior than the older crowd is. And his father is an example because while all of his teammates have supported him at the University of Missouri, uh, his father unfortunately was not. And the New York Times wrote this story that. It's actually an interesting detail that he, he was at a Denny's, you know, fast food restaurant, not a fancy place, near his to- uh, home outside of Dallas. Now, Michael Sam's from Texas, so he's from down south. He's not from L.A. or San Francisco or Seattle or New York, these famously liberal cities. And he wrote him a text and said, Dad, I'm gay. And uh, Michael Sam's father did not mince words with the media. He said he couldn't finish his meal. He was so upset. He said he went and started drinking. He was so upset, he has said flat out, I don't want my grandkids raised in that kind of environment. He says, I'm old school, I'm a man and woman type of guy. He said, uh, he even mentioned the great Deacon Jones, famous pass rusher for the L.A. Rams back in the 60s, who was a real manly man. He said he's rolling over in his grave. So, so the story is not without some sadness. It's tough to hear that the father himself has publicly, not just privately, but publicly, sort of distanced himself from his son. And so just one of the many hurdles Michael Sam is going to have to, you know, to clear. Brian, it's fascinating stuff. I can't believe you're bad-mouthing Denny's, though. I, I remember being in America for the first time when I was 14 years of age, being in a Denny's, and thinking, don't this you, place is incredible. Don't you come on here and start slating Denny's, Brian. Uh, Owen McDevitt isn't going to he's not going to have it. He's not going to stand for it. At two in the morning, after a certain amount of uh, nightlife, maybe a moon over my hammy and a Coors Light. It's just <laughs> what you need, boys, to finish off the evening. Brian, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. All right, guys, take care. Are you paying too much for your current account? 
Maybe it's time for a change. At KBC, everyone can bank for just two euros a month. That's the price of a coffee. Just use your KBC debit card for purchases or cash back for free and avoid those annoying ATM charges. Oh, and did we mention you also get free internet and mobile banking? And before you ask, yes, your bank could be charging you for all these. Other fees and charges apply. Visit changeyourbank.ie, call 1-800-515253 or pop in for a coffee at any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Two euros a month is based on a quarterly fee of six euros. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Absolutely brilliant stuff from US Murph there. I just want to get back to away from Denny's for a moment, if I may, Murph. Well, it seems okay. to be taking over. And back to Michael Sam. It seems like there's a, even when Brian was speaking there, there seems to be an idea that maybe teams will accept him, sure, if he just goes in there and shuts his damn mouth. Mm. But if he starts shouting his mouth off about homosexuality and, and campaigning in any way, pushing any sort of agenda, that's when there could be an issue. I heard Chris Cluey talking on the uh, Slate podcast, Hang Up and Listen, and we mentioned Chris Cluey a couple of times so far. This is the punter who is, uh, has been uh, pushing the agenda of, uh, of gay rights, and he feels that has helped adversely hasten, affected yeah, his, uh, hasten what yeah, looks like an career. end to his NFL career. Now, there are arguments that he was a veteran at this stage. He's a punter, possibly more expendable. He certainly feels that it's been an issue. And he, I heard him make the point that, look, guys can get away with anything in the NFL. They can be certainly accused of some of the worst things mm. you can do as a human being. But if you start actually pushing an agenda in some sort of political way or some sort of social way, that's what's really going to kill you for a team. That's when you're marked out as a troublemaker, yes. which seems incredible. I, I would hope that this player, Michael Sam, can go in, can, can be who he wants to be, but can also talk about what he wants to talk about. I hope he yeah. doesn't just, maybe he won't want to talk about this. Maybe he, this is, he said his piece at this stage, but you'd like to feel that he'd be comfortable enough to be able to do Yeah, so. it's an interesting one because I think maybe the, you know, maybe he thinks the best way to help the, the, the cause of uh, gay people playing the NFL is to not say anything and to prove that, you know, this is just the most natural thing in the world to, for gay people to be playing in the NFL with no issue. And maybe he thinks that's the best way to lobby uh, and maybe there's maybe there's an argument for that. At the same time, you would think that if he's going in there and, as you say, being told to shut the hell up and just play football and just focus on football, that he's not being true to himself either. So that's it's it's yeah. an interesting one, you know. I, I you know, the Jackie Robinson is, you know, uh, that's the parallel you 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 kind of try and uh, come back. You keep coming back to when you when you hear this story. And you know, Jackie Robinson represented uh, African American athletes. Uh, in baseball in 1947 by being strong enough to take all that on board mm. and like that's how that's how he advanced the cause was by just being strong enough to actually take all of the abuse and just persevere so maybe that's what Michael Sam has to do in this in this case you you just don't know time now for a little bit of this that's right you're a real Irishman you get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there I got the potatoes yeah. and the pudding huh? and the pudding oh yeah there you are Bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I think we, we've all realised now that things have gone up a notch, a couple of notches, uh, because with the arrival of the new second captain's Pierce Brosnan merchandise, which you may have seen on our Twitter and Facebook pages, uh, every P. mentioned on this show will receive a very special Pierce Brosnan t-shirt. So this is a game changer. Until we run out of Pierce Brosnan t-shirts, presumably. Also, the prohibitive, prohibitive cost of uh, posting these things abroad <laughs> means that, well, I mean, it's a variety of issues, really. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to focus on the cost, sure. you know. But I have mentioned a lot of people in these slots over the years. That, the happiness of our listeners, Murph, Particularly our listeners abroad. Can't put a price is, on that. You can't. Well, you, you can, can and we have an exact price, which yeah, is why it's not prohibitive. Price, which the cost is way over. So, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I've mentioned a lot of people over the last couple of months. You know, some of them deserving, some of them not so much. You know, so I, I'm going to have to change, and uh, I'm going to have to be a lot more discerning. So only the very best emails, only the very best photographs, uh, because there's a lot at stake now. I mean, we can't just be handing out these T-shirts willy-nilly. You'll want them because not many people want them. If everyone wants them, then the value of the T-shirt is necessarily less. So, um, well, hang on. If everyone wants, what are you talking about? If, if every, if everyone that wants one has one, oh, yeah. then the the value of the T-shirt is necessarily less. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, this Seems is like economics, economics one hundred and one here, people. Uh, so, today then, and the start of a brave new world, courtesy of Niall Small and his buddies Ewan and Marty. Niall writes, "Hey, Pierce." 
you could put my name as well, as well in there, but hey. Hey, Pierce, big shout out from the lads who are listening to the Wales match in a camper van in remote Victoria. We braved the 40 degree heat and bushfires to a deserted beach to do a hashtag P bezel. I tweeted the photograph from Second Captains yesterday. It is a burn burner. We'd like to thank Nick, aka Stage Door Johnny, for climbing the cliff in order to get the picture. Cheers, lads. Niall, Ewan, and Marty. And now I presume Nick is an Aussie, given the lad's scant regard for his health and safety in asking him to scale a cliff for this photograph. But uh, we appreciate all of your efforts and congratulations and well done. And maybe we'll see how many t shirts we can fit into an envelope, thereby, you know, cutting down the cost. And. Uh Great use of the phrase stage George Johnny. Stage George Johnny. Excellent, excellent use of that phrase. Uh, and I'm also going to give one to Kevin McEnena on Twitter, who took hashtag Pubezo back to its roots, as he says himself. No verbosity or pictures, just a DAE from the Bathurst Street Boys in Toronto. There was something about the phraseology on the emigrant spirit, the hard scrabble existence of the Irish abroad that got me stoked reading this tweet. So you get one too, Kevin. Hang I don't on, know no why I like you, but I do. Uh, well, yeah, no, there's no photograph. Sometimes... Can I overrule this? I, no, I, you I can't. Feel, listen, I feel you've no, got you to at least make an effort and send a photograph. Listen, people, just up, age. all of you up your game. Uh, the t-shirts are actually very cool. I think they're my favourite uh, of all of the Second Captain's merchandise that we've got. So, uh, yeah, there is there's a Pierce Brosnan t-shirt up for grabs. And if you're currently resident in Ireland and you want a t-shirt, just remember... Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Thank you, Pierce. Pierce Thank is you. getting louder, if anything. Maliki Clerkin is at the Winter Olympics for the Irish Times and joins us now from Sochi. Maliki, is it still colder outside than... I uh, should say, is it still colder inside than outside over there? Ah, uh, my God. It, it, it's funny. Um, I, yesterday, I took, uh, I took a picture on my phone of um, people sitting outside eating their lunches, and I was about to, to tweet it. And then I heard what was going on back home, and I thought it would be a rather poor taste to go on about the heat here because it's, uh, it's ludicrously warm here. Like, it's 16 degrees today. Is it having that's any an effect Irish on summer. the games? Yeah. yeah. Is it having any effect on, uh, on anything oh, yeah. that's actually going on? In, in what way, though? Uh, in the way, certainly with the snow, uh, the snow events, um, like some of them, the the, the downhill, the uh, the alpine events, the, the <laughs> super G and the combined uh, today are the, the skiers are all given out about it. The snow is too slushy. Um, it had a real effect on the snowboarding the other night. Uh, they had to redesign the, the snowboard pipe to deal with uh, the the snow uh, once the snow melts and then hardens as the um, temperature drops at night um, it makes it very bumpy and it makes it very unpredictable and it actually just makes it less safe um, so it has it is having a real effect up, yeah. up the mountain it's funny you know the, like the the ski jump the the other night the women's ski jump was on uh, where are my days the ski jump was done on Tuesday night but uh, qualify or practice for it had to be cancelled on Monday because the the landing area was just too unpredictable for them dropping from heights of 100 meters down. So uh, yeah, the 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 heat is having a real effect. But I mean, it comes back to you know the reason that bloody games shouldn't be here in the first place. You know, it's uh, it's not the proper climate for the Winter Olympics. Yeah, it's funny, and that that was one of the themes coming into it. But probably the ones we were focusing more on were the security issues, the the. Yeah. Uh, uh, issues around homophobia, whereas I guess in, in sporting terms, maybe the the biggest issue was always going to be that this is not a, you you can make you can spend whatever amount of money you want and making this amazing facility, but yeah. you can't change the weather. Exactly, and it's it's funny because I heard some people say that this was part of uh, Putin's original sort of selling point for Sochi was that Sochi uh, is a, a place where you can ski during ski in the evening time uh, and swim in the sea in the morning, um, which may be a, a selling point for a holiday resort, but it's not really a selling point for for an Olympic Games, you know. So it's. Uh, yeah, and, and it is hilarious how, I, certainly down here at sea level, I'm not up the mountain today, just how many people are walking around in shirt sleeves or lying out uh, on their lunch break getting uh, catching rays. 
Yeah, the first time we talked to you, Malachi, you uh, were getting a sense at that stage. You'd only just arrived, really, but you were getting a sense of the security. Mm-hmm. You had a couple of apples co- confiscated mercilessly yeah. um, by the security yeah. guards there. Well, what's it like now? Is there a, is there a difference between how the... Uh, I don't know what downtown Sochi is like at the best of times, but is there a, an Olympic Village element to it that where there's a certain level of security and then maybe a different level of security where you would be socialising? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, the... In, in as much as uh, once you you could be downtown Sochi here and not know the other big games are on actually um, they, uh, there is no real sense of um, a huge event going on in the city now because the where Olympic Park is is it's about a 40 minute train ride out of Sochi uh, town centre. So the games are actually on in, in Adler, which is, I guess, if, if you were to say like the Olympics were on in Dublin, uh, the, the games themselves are on out in, say, Greystones. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a long, a long sort of, it's a, it's a train journey out, a suburban train journey out. And once you're inside the, the confines of the train, like once you go through the x-ray machine at the train station, you're inside Olympic town and the the security is is very tight and very visible. Um, But you could absolutely walk around the middle of Sochi city centre and uh, other than the fact that there are uh, probably a lot more people around and a lot more people in the hotels than there would be ordinarily in February, um, you would have no real sense that the, that there's something big going on. Um, there's no, you know, there's hardly it's there's hardly even many big sort of billboards. And you know, if you walked around London during London to 2012, you couldn't walk around a corner without seeing a picture of Jessica Ennis. Yeah. Um, that just isn't this. It just isn't the same here. There just isn't that sense of of a massive event, world event going on. Does that make it hard for you to judge what? whether it's capturing the local imagination or what parts of it is capturing the local imagination? To a certain extent, yeah. You know, um, you sort of see the the front of newspapers and, like, uh, if you just go back to London, every newspaper, the front of every newspaper, not even the front of every newspaper, most newspapers in England had 24-page wraparound sections daily on the games. Um you pick up a, a Russian newspaper here and obviously it's in, not only in Russian but in Russian script so I obviously don't know what's going on but even just by the pictures uh, there isn't a Russian uh, athlete on the front cover every day uh, and uh, you know there isn't you know great branding with the Olympic rings or anything like that so um, once you're inside uh, the sort of uh, the barrier as, as I say once you go through the x-ray machines of course you know you're at the Olympics but um, outside of it it's it's uh, yeah you, do, you don't really get that sense. Uh, onto the sport then Malachi and you know we're all kind of feeling our way I suppose uh, watching it and being entertained by it uh, over yeah. the last kind of seven days or whatever but I would I'm kind of the opinion is uh, solidifying in my head now that in the Winter Olympics and in sport generally, anything that involves judges, objective judges, <laughs> equals bad. And everything that involves a straight race between you and your opponent and you and a, and a clock, that's good. Is, is that vaguely how you're feeling about curling and I delusion? I, you, I don't know if I'd be quite that, uh, that black and white on it because uh, I'm just watching uh, on the TV in the media centre here, the slope style skiing is on. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of judging in that, and uh, I, d- I don't know how anybody could call it bad. I don't know how on earth they didn't have slope style in the Olympics before now, because mm. the uh, the snowboarding was very early, and the skiing is on now, and it's uh, it's pretty incredible to watch, and it's all judged. I take your point, though. I mean, um, like I watched the I downhill skiing, the, the women's downhill skiing yesterday, that yeah. ended in a in a tie for the gold medal, yeah. and it yeah. was just. Amazing, and you know, straight away you're like, okay, kind of entertain me, Winter Olympics, and uh, yes. when you see so, uh, when you see scale and, uh, and bravery of that of that yeah. uh, of that standard, you're you're immediately hooked into it in a way that you know the figure skating, for instance, uh, well, look, do, you know, doesn't really do it for me. Let's you know? let's let's lay our cards on the table here. The figure skating, we're just not really going to get, are we? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, okay. I, I, I I have tried watching a bit of it. Uh, I, I come 
come to every sport with an open mind. Uh, I just can't get the figure skating in around my. I can't get my head around mm. it. I just can't. I, I I was thinking about it one day though that that if there was a sort of a a, a a guide up on the big screen that when somebody did like say a triple lutz or a double salco or whatever the terms are, um, if presumably the judges make an instant. Um, uh, decision on whether that was good or bad, or whether they nailed it or not. And if it was like, say, the Olympic boxing, where the judges had to press a button and give a, a straightaway a judgment on whether they nailed that or something, or whether they got X yeah. amount of marks for this or that, I think that would make it a little more, certainly a bit more uh, easy for us to kind of work out what's good and what's bad. I think the problem sometimes with the judged sports is that you watch the thing, you wait until the end, and then the score comes up, and you have nothing to say, well, that should have been better, or that should have been worse. Whereas if they were doing it in real time, and uh, the scores were flashing up on the screen, I think that would make it a little more uh, easy for us to to kind of get our head around. But look, the figure skating, I haven't gone to it yet. I'm going to go, I think, next Thursday to watch... uh, uh, Kim Yuna, who's the, this Korean uh, figure skater who is like the biggest, by far the biggest and most, uh, the biggest celebrity in Korea. She's like with their greatest ever athlete. She's only 23. So I'm going to go and cover her. Uh, so I, I, I said I would go to the figure skating one night and if I'm going to go, I may as well go and see uh, the LeBron of the thing. You'll be seeing some superstars of uh, American sport and Canadian sport, maybe more specifically when the ice mm. hockey is getting going at the moment, but uh, it'll, yeah. it'll heat up over the next few days. Uh, this is this happens in the Summer Olympics as well with the likes of the Dream Team and the basketball. I guess you get top professionals massively uh, rewarded for their work uh, in competitions or in the same mm. um, Olympic Games as people who are probably scrounging around quite a bit for sponsorship just to get there it's one of those strange dynamics but is it is the ice hockey something you're looking forward to oh yeah i mean it's gonna it's great i i went actually the the women started earlier than the men so i went yesterday and watched uh canada and the usa um play it in in a game you see what what they've done for this olympics in the women's uh is that they've put canada and the usa into the same group they were always kept apart before now they're they're kept apart in their semi-finals so that they'll meet in the final they are by far the two best teams but they sort of gerrymandered the competition so that there would at least be one really competitive game early in the competition and it was a killer game yesterday like they beat the living crap out of each other and uh Canada won 3-2 in the end and it really sets up the final um, the same with the men's you know the the three big time men's teams are playing today uh, Russia Canada and America uh, but it's a much deeper competition than, than the women's obviously you know there's the Swiss team and Czech team and the Finnish team there's uh, some serious competition there but yeah like it was funny being at the snowboarding the other night um Sean White, who who is obviously the biggest star of the games and the wealthiest star, even even if you take into account some of the the hockey players, yeah. um, he came fourth, and the kid who the guy who beat him, the guy who got the gold, was a, a Swiss slash Russian guy, and then two Japanese teenagers beat him, and the two Japanese teenagers, you know, for them to be even competing in the same competition as somebody like Sean White they had complete stars in their eyes for them to go and beat him then uh, considering his celebrity considering his fame and his wealth um, was an incredible experience for them and it's sort of incredible to watch yeah Maliki sounds uh, sounds great over there um, have you adopted a stray dog to bring home at this stage good god almighty do you, do you know you're going to get me shot even talking about we'll, stray dogs we'll leave it there so every, every, everybody's watching me <laughs> Maliki listen great stuff thanks very much <laughs> no worries lads Murphy, you've been doing a little bit of extra Denny's-related research here. Mm. Yeah, well... Uh, just we, in, ca- in case people are just dipping in and out, this is in relation to Brian Murphy's... He recommended a moonlight on my hammy uh, right earlier. So I, I decided to check out what exactly... Isn't that a moon over my hammy? Something like that. Moon over my hammy. <laughs> something something ham-related yeah. and something moon-related. Uh, it's a ham and scrambled egg sandwich with Swiss and American cheeses on grilled sourdough. 
Serve with your choice of hash browns or grits. Sounds disgusting. <laughs> uh, there's just no... The words... Are the Americans... Uh, uh, American cheeses. That's enough to put me off straight off the bat. Because they don't do cheese. They don't do cheese well at all, I find, Americans. They have a very weird understanding of what actually constitutes cheese. Um, now... If if you didn't fancy a moon over Miami or whatever, well, I would. I'm already sold on the moon over Miami. I think we could probably go for an all American slam, uh, which is there's gonna be waffles. Very in patriotic. I mean, three scrambled eggs with cheddar cheese, two bacon strips, and two sausage links Uh-oh. plus hash browns or grits, and your choice of bread. Sorry, what it's patriotic grits? about that? Well, it's patriotic about that. Well, it's called the all American slam. Okay. Well, I mean, it's pretty patriotic to me. What? I thought it assumed it was going to be like stars and stripes or something. No, well, I mean, what? Eat the flag. I think that's illegal, isn't it? You can't burn it, so I presume you can't eat it. What are, you've been asking that question on what are grits? Yeah, I've been asking it repeatedly here by myself. It's a good question. Um, I have no idea. Oh. It's some kind of stuff that Southerners eat. <laughs> it's all the Southern American. Yeah, yeah, deep set. But again, well, Southern uh, Irish people, is that it? People, cork, no. Corkonians? Uh, no, if no, I had to guess, Alan, I'd say it was like some kind of. Actually, I don't even want to guess. Well, it's kind of ridiculous. Really. Well, then, I'm, I'm going to say it's bacon-related. Tell us what's That's coming up here in there. second Captain's Football. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you want? I'd like to stay alive for oh, six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down Twelfth Field, and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Grits are actually on a ground corn food of Native American origin. Ground corn? Similar to other thick maize-based porridges, such as polenta. Mmm, thick maize-based porridges, really... Yeah. How can anyone running. fit all of that stuff into their mouths? That all American slam just oh. sounds sounds like. Well, you don't have to eat it all in one go, Ode. <laughs> well, into the <laughs> stomach even. Is that meals work? Uh, in, the, in terms of football, um, oh sorry, gonna, yeah. there was a match last night. The Emirates. We've talked about it. it wasn't a great match, but uh, you know, oftentimes it's it's about can you get past the first thirty pages? You know, you open a book. It seems to be unbelievably boring. Red or Dead by David Peace. Uh, mm, you know, I wouldn't use that example. Uh, Continuously boring for another sw- three Swollen with, with self-importance, you know, extremely pretentious, all the rest of it. Um, but can you go beyond that modernist hump? Can you say, sure, Arsenal against Manchester United didn't look like that good a game. But was it really not that good a game? We'll find out. On second half this football. <laughs> the Irish women's team are away to England at Twickenham after the men's game next weekend. England are looking for revenge after taking a good thumping last year as Ireland went on to win a grand slam. They're also two wins from two in defending their title, although it was scratchy enough performance against Wales last time out. Irish centre Lynn Cantwell joins us now. Lynn's been writing a brilliant column for the Irish Times over the course of this championship as well. Lynn, thanks very much for chatting to us. You're talking from London. That's where you're based. You run a physiotherapy clinic there. You're playing for Richmond you're writing this column that I mentioned. Have you noticed an increase on the demands on your time since the Grand Slam and since attention on the team has increased? Um, yeah, like I think it's probably, it's definitely harder from the point of view that you have less time because I suppose you're, you're doing bits and bobs and you're, you're doing articles or, or, or pieces and stuff like that. They're all such an incredible incredibly important part of it and, and it's stuff that you do love to do and I suppose your mentality of wanting to do a good job of all of those is is your own kind of bad you know is that is that takes from your time um with regard to your training the training routine and stuff is the same and if anything probably knowing my body a little bit better I probably rest a little bit more than I would have done in the past whereas before I would have just gone out there and flogged myself yeah. thinking oh I need to get this session in whereas now I know probably just asleep a or just um going home from work a little bit early just to rest is probably a little bit more beneficial at this time of year, you know? It's funny, when I guess when we're all in work, there are times when our mind tends to drift to other things going on in our life. Does that happen to you? Are you able to keep things separate? <laughs> yeah, I think the one nice thing about completely having a different country is that you do and you have to. And the thing is, nobody cares about, <laughs> about us over here. Nobody even knows that we play or I play or whatever. So you're instantly just kind of whipped back into, like, who the hell are you? Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard when you 
are trying to still analyze a game in your head or trying to figure out what you did wrong and trying to fix that. And that usually happens on the kind of Monday to Wednesday when we're analyzing the video and we're chatting to each other and going, oh, how do we change that? Or what do you think about this? Or have you seen that game? How are we going to combat that? And so I think sometimes that's a little bit hard, but like we have all those, did the right things put in place for us to answer those questions early on so that we can put our mind at rest like video analysis and feedback forums online and stuff like that to make sure that we're not just kind of mulling over them for two weeks before we go back into camp. Because I think that's the really hard bit about it is that you can't put it behind you. So once you can, you're, you're grand. You just move on from it then. You made the point there, Lynn, that it's a good thing to be doing, to be having these sort of conversations, to be doing articles and to promote the game. It's funny because I guess in, in the men's game, I suppose they do have to, of course they have to do press conferences and all that, but it's maybe not seen as the same uh, sort of sell that they have to give it. Is is that something that you're conscious of, that with the success last year, you guys are having to sell a game here and having to try to capitalise on that by getting as much exposure as possible? When may, Maybe in an ideal world, you're just knuckling down and doing nothing but playing, but you do have to put yourselves out there. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's not until you say it till I realise that. I suppose some of it, as you say, it's enjoyable because you're just getting to talk about the game and, you know, oh, that's all you want to do. You want to be able to just chat about the game and we could talk about it all night. And But you're right. I think the reason why we... Um, we we jump onto it is the fact that it is it's part of of our kind of jobs and responsibilities is to to try and keep the momentum and and keep the awareness out there of the game and try and make the best impression that we can um to whatever audience that we can captivate so i think you're right like i i think you know we're definitely acutely aware that we're still a part of a of a big journey and you know we're still we're still probably in early enough days of it so kind of what what we can do now is definitely going to and stand to teams in, in the future and what exposure we can get now. And listen, there's no there's no doubt about that. We know that what we achieved last year is absolutely monumental and it's incredible influence on 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 the effect that it's going to have in the future. So we've got to grasp it, like, because it could be gone tomorrow, yeah, you know? Yeah, I, well, news has come through today, Lynn, that the game will be live on RTE 2, which is a huge boost. Obviously, that fixture is also at Twickenham for the first time and the Italy game will be on at the Aviva. I wonder, though, how do you feel about it being on after the men's match? Is it a downside in, in some way or is it something that you welcome? Yep, yeah, definitely. Listen, they're all steps. Um, they're a cool stadium to play in. It's brilliant recognition after the men's game, before the men's game. To be honest with you, I, I think it's just a norm. I think the the women's, the England Twickenham or the England team always played after the men's game. I, I think it's probably a logistical thing more so than anything else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like listen, as I said, it's all it's all steps in the right direction, and um, I, I think that in Ireland, I think that we're going to get an awful lot more people watching us. Hopefully, it's the weather holds out and they stay on like in tricking them over the last three years usually they got probably about five thousand staying now they have ten thousand now fifteen thousand they started staying for just the first 20 minutes then the first half and now they're staying for the full game so it's it's definitely a work in progress just lastly lynn you had joe schmidt in for a session and you, you wrote very entertainingly about this how did you find him <laughs> he was amazing he really really was Honestly, I know I said that in the article, we were just glued to him literally as every single word. But it, but everything about him was completely so engaging and enchanting in that his words and, and his actual um, teaching was fantastic and really, really simple. And you you were just completely engaged, but also just his enthusiasm and his willingness just to kind of muck in and hit pads or demonstrate or and then take the mick out of everybody too. You know what I mean? Like that's all part and parts of it too. So it was really, really great. All right, listen, Lynn Cantwell, great to chat to you. Good luck against England. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Owen. There is something a bit, uh, small steps, as Lynn says there, there is something a little bit strange to me about the match being on, whatever about Twickenham, that's not in the control of anybody in Ireland, but the Ireland-Italy game being on after the men's match. It just seems like they're two totally separate. I assume, I I guess, you can't have... uh, game directly before the, the the thinking is before Six Nations men's game you can't have another match on the same surface a couple of hours beforehand and there are probably other logistical issues around it but I don't know would it not be better in Donnybrook or something pack out Donnybrook the night before I think a lot of uh, Dublin based mm. rugby fans would go and see that match yeah I think um, or the S even well, wouldn't be full but you yeah I think there's, there. like, there's a prestige thing with playing in the Aviva yeah, there absolutely that I think is, and maybe that is what, what the players want and maybe yeah. that is the best thing um, but you even think maybe playing it in the Aviva on the Friday night would make more sense than playing it in the Aviva after the men's game. You know what I mean? I, I just, I, I, it's kind of a, it's a strange one. Yeah, I mean, I, when you talk to um, uh, Leinster, uh, you know, GA intercounty players from Leinster, 
when they're asked in May or June, do you want to play your Leinster senior football quarterfinal game in Crow Park, even though there's only going to be 15,000 or 20,000 people out, most of them will tell you, yes, yeah. you know, we'd rather play it in Crow Park. And that appears to be the way the players the way the players think about, you know, playing in the, the biggest uh, arena that you can for your sport. At the same time, they're very, very anxious to win the Grand Slam. They're very, very anxious to capitalise on the publicity of last year's championship victory. And maybe the way to do that is to make your game as attractive as possible for the sort of the, the passing punter, yeah. which we would think then would be Donnybrook on a Friday night and pack out Donnybrook in 6,000, 7,000. I mean, that's, I think that's an imminently gettable crowd for a team as successful as the Ireland women's rugby team. You should have a read of Lynn's Irish Times column. They come out on Thursday, so the latest one is out this morning. The most recent one, the one was it last week or the week before? Well, it must have been last week when she was speaking about Joe Schmidt's visit was very illuminating. Um, it was kind of somewhat surprised to hear that Schmidt was the first men's national team coach to take a women's session, but uh, on further reading, Declan Kidney provided a lot of sport, went to see some games and this kind of thing. So mm. I don't know why a session didn't happen at that stage, but it seems like there has been a certain amount of support there. That's pretty much it. We've got a lot more football to talk about a little bit later on, but in the meantime, Murph, I'm off to get in a, see if I can source a Denny's here in Ireland and get one of those American sure, All-American somewhere. slams. Sure, there's... Extra there's grits, somewhere. please. <laughs> Whatever the hell they are. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.